Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest to RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5e's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new projects from indie content creators. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. What up, Nerd Nation? Steve here from the Dads with Nerdy Ambitions podcast, or DNA for short, your go-to podcast for all things nerd culture. You want to know fun facts about the latest movies? Done. Interested in a new hobby? We've got you. Have questions and want to hear from the experts? Say no more. Join me and my crew every week to hear about our latest takes on everything nerdy and go on a few tangents on the Dads with Nerdy Ambitions podcast, where we know it's not just a hobby, it's hereditary. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like we are old school, big old fans of Ravenloft. And I think when uh, when I saw The Price of Life and you were talking about it on Twitter, I was like, oh man, we need to go ahead and get you on here to go ahead and talk about this. <laughs> uh, Ravenloft is one of those things that is near and dear to Lewanika in my heart. Really, when we first became fast friends, we were playing in a Ravenloft game, an old second edition game that had just moved to third edition, I think, by the point that I was playing. And uh, yeah, good old time here. We are on tonight to go ahead and talk about your latest project, The Price of Life. So give us the kind of the dime store tour. What is the price of a life and what's it about so it takes place in an if you've played curse of strahd right the, the most mm-hmm. recent official ravenloft module right then you know about barovia it takes place in another domain called lamordia and if barovia is the dracula based one lamordia is the frankenstein based one the themes are there so my whole goal really was to scratch the same itch as a curse of strahd type module just in another domain, basically. Excellent. The elevator pitch. <laughs> nice. I'm a huge fan of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein yeah. and gothic horror around the Frankenstein. I might be one of the rare people who publicly says they love the Kenneth Branagh Frankenstein with Robert De Niro. <laughs> and I liked it because of like the world building that went on and the attention to detail and giving it that real gothic feel. Like when he's in the lab, working on the creature and even when they were did the medical rooms and the studies and they had the viewing chamber looking down almost in a round on a stage and john cleese played played his professor all of those scenes were like really the things that drove me to love that movie and i'm a huge brand fan but (laughs) accepted (laughs) but i love that type of thing so when i got this document and i realized oh we're going that way with horror i was like Yes, I am here for it because <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. actually that's my niche. I yeah. love Bram Stoker's and I love Dracula. I like 
period. It's a great, it's a, it's an amazing novel. Oh, of it's course. A, a, yeah. The breadth of it is wonderful. It is, however, the one that gets played all the time. So yeah, to take the one that doesn't yeah. get quite as much love or when it gets love, it's very infrequent. So every 20 years versus every five, yeah. I love this. And yeah. to say Ravenloft doesn't have to be Strahd, doesn't have to be Barovia is an amazing thing. Yeah, absolutely. Go back to the beginning. Speaking of zombies, when I was like, how I decided to make it, I got Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, the, the recent Ravenloft source book. And I was like, these are all really cool. I should do a game in one of these somewhere. And I was torn between Falcove, the zombie one, the zombie apocalypse siege of a city one, and Lamordia. And I eventually settled on Lamordia. So this was almost a very different podcast. What if you, with, with the success that I expect out of this project for you, that tells you what you where you need to go next because yeah definitely not to get on the map yeah not to get too far ahead of ourselves here but i do eventually want to do another ravenloft thing at some point it's on the to-do list absolutely and when you do hashtag call your boys ttj because we will be there to help play test that bad boy guaranteed Guaranteed. uh, not to go too far afield already but last october uh, for halloween we did a collaboration with a couple of other podcasts where we played through the uh, the free league build of aliens the rpg uh, for halloween and it was so much fun horrific it was amazing next october we will definitely be down to go ahead and and do this again okay all right without any further ado mr miller d20 to the ready let's see who gets the initiative to go ahead and dive in tonight's rainbow 20 ready to rock let's see what we get Oh, that's a natural one for me, so it ain't me. Yeah. Winner and champion with a 12. Alex, as I said previously, I am all here for this particular domain of dread. You did mention that this was one of the two that you picked, that you selected. I'm really interested as to why this, like, Mm -hmm. if you had interest in both, what pushed this one over the top? What What was the thing about... This right. route, what was the campaign that you were working in your mind that right. said, so, yeah, I'm yeah, going to do this? Dad, Mary Shelley Frankenstein, classic. One of the very small number of books that I read at for school as a teenager that I didn't hate. It's one of my favorites. So that was definitely like brownie points for me already. And then I always felt like you look at like the classic black and white movie monsters, like Dracula's up there, Frankenstein's monsters like right behind him. And I'm like, why don't we have a thing for that in D&D? We have it. It's here. It's but six pages in this setting guide. This seems like not enough. So I'm like, all right, let me flesh this out a little bit. Let me see where there is room for homebrew and gap filling for me to operate. And it started out as just like a 10-page Google Doc, like really nothing that I was just going to run for a couple of my friends who had previously played Curse of Strahd with me. And it just kept snowballing. (laughs) <laughs> like I, the Google Doc kept getting longer and longer and longer and, until I was at a point where I was like, it would be stupid to keep this to myself. It would be like almost selfish because it's just so long to be ashamed to just run this for four people and let it like fade into the ether. So I'm like, all right, I'll, I can figure out how to make a book. How hard could it be? I love that humor. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love that hubris. Yeah. We, we laugh yeah. because yeah, we find uh-huh. out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. We- this is like com- commiseration, right? Because nobody thinks that making yeah. a book is hard until they go to make a book. That's, yeah. Oh, okay. I wouldn't say nobody. I would say the people <laughs> who think about it and then quit before they start, they yeah, yeah, think yeah. it's hard too. Yeah, that's the fair. difference that's is fair. those of us who say the creation, the actual nature of creation that drives us, that creation has to be freed. And you allude to that. Like, why I can't, yeah. it's selfish of me to keep this in. I need to give this to the world in some fashion. And that piece, 
is really what drives our whole homebrew and indie game development community. Yep. Everything, all the people that we speak with on Twitter, it's all about the same thing. It's I've got to get this out of me and give it out to the world. That's where our happiness lies is when we deliver this to the world. And so I, I'm really glad that those are the kinds of reasons that it pushed us over the top. Yeah, for sure. I was lucky to already be in a position where I had most of the tools at my disposal. I had a weird combination of life experiences and things that were like actually made it like hard don't get me wrong but not like insurmountable like i took screenwriting in college so i knew about the arc of fiction and all that i'd been dming for a couple of years already pushing a decade and i i do video editing for a living i do photography on the side so i already had the full adobe suite which comes with indesign which is a program for formatting books and the like and I did a good chunk of the art myself by using stock photos and just like compositing them with the Photoshop knowledge that I already had. It's a little bit of original photography. And then for what I couldn't do myself, I did eventually hire an artist. But yeah, it was this weird journey of compiling a bunch of skills that I already had in this weird cobbled together way that was... Fun. Yeah, I can, having done the layout for The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse, which was the book that we put out in January mm-hmm. and February, I can totally appreciate because I did not come with a lot of those skills. My background is in music and in technology and stuff like that. And so I'm pretty adept at figuring out how programs work and stuff like that. Right. But layout is an entirely new skill and like trying to go ahead and be both consistent and artistic with the layout and stuff like that and trying to figure yeah. out like I have three quarters of a page here. So I need a picture that's roughly this size or kind of this layout and that kind of thing to go back and forth on. There were definitely a lot of lessons learned in that book that we're applying to our next one. So that's, that's always good yeah. to kind of fail forward. It was a lot of, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of flipping back and forth, like between my book, like 2% done and Curse of Strahd and being like, how do they format <laughs> if it's like a dungeon room, but it's not a big dungeon room and like how many, how indented should it be? Yeah, and yeah. just, I think that's right. Like, <laughs> Style guides are your friend. Oh yeah. 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 So you alluded to this a little bit, but I actually want to hear more about the story. How did you get into role-playing in general and Dungeons and & Dragons? And how, sure. did you, how did your journey get into uh, into DMing? Yeah, so for me, it, it came from like a place of just being a, a gamer in general, right? I've played video games for basically as long as I've been able to push a button. Like, I can't remember a time when I wasn't playing. My dad had an old Nintendo, the first one. Oh, and- dagger to the heart. <laughs> Sorry, right. I was born in 1994. So he, he had one of those. <laughs> <laughs> he had one of those in the house growing up, and then eventually I got a Game Boy. So basically, as long as I can remember, I've been playing games. That's evolved into then in college, around the time 5th edition came out, Critical Role got big. I haven't watched it personally, but a friend of mine was watching it. And he's like, we should try this. This looks fun. I'm like, all right, sure. Yeah, like D&D, is, it's always something I've heard about. It's like the grandfather of all of these other games that I play, basically. So I'm like, all right, let's see what this is about. Let's try it. And then, yeah, my friend John, who is now the dungeon master on our actual play show, he ran our first game. And then he and I started taking turns. And uh, yeah, that, that's how I got into it. It's a story. Nice. Excellent. I love us have that kind of story. Yeah, I love yeah. that story yeah. because it starts with friends saying, let's do this. When, yeah. when it could have been, let's go skid hopping if you're from south boston and it's winter time <laughs> it could be let's go swimming in the quarry again you're in quincy uh, or braintree and it's the summertime yeah it could have been all these other things but it was let's do something creative let's do something fun yeah let's and pretend say, to be wizards or something let's yeah. to be wizards <laughs> and and throw imaginary daggers at goblins for a bit i love that that's where the story um 
shifts from I just play games to I'm now doing something more creative and involved. And yeah. that's brilliant. That's actually what kind of where it turned for us too. It was yeah. it started as let's do a thing and then it very quickly for me it was the end of my very first session and which the or my second my very second session and which that character died and it immediately turned into a thing that i had to have more of and yeah. that has that flame have wanting to have more has never ever gone away the longest oh, i've been sure. away from gaming was probably six months it was because i was moving from one state to another and i was moving back to my my the state where i went to high school and it took me that long to get moved in, get settled, and gather my friends, write a new campaign, and start gaming again. So I was only off while I was planning to not be off. Like, I knew that was always right. going to be part of the mix. I have the shortest downtime for gaming, I think, of any of us that ever stopped throughout throughout the years who've been gaming for well over 30-plus years now. Let's dive right into the story and the book. We got a preview look. And our preview doesn't include all of the elements of the story. So I'm anxiously awaiting the finished product, by the way. I love the fact that you took the time at the beginning. Your forward was brilliant, by the way. But you took the time at the beginning to really set the stage for how groups can get here. What yeah. could be a single paragraph that is pick away or a roll table that is pick away. It could be assume your character start in Ravenloft. You took the time to give them kind of story beats as to how they got there and when to come here. Even went so far as to say, if you want to bypass this first piece and come in at level two, that's okay too. But you want to start here to do that. Uh, and you gave yeah. those options and suggestions for the storytellers out there. And I thought that was brilliant. Talk to us about how you came to the that as your way to lead people into this based on your experiences as, as a DM yourself. Sure. Like, why did you do that as opposed to the way many adventures go, which is bang, you're here. Yeah, totally. A lot of them are just like, this is how it begins. Deal with it. I, so if, to go back to like my whole story, we have this long running version of the forgotten realms that my dm john and i toss back and forth to each other where we take turns and like it's resulted in just a whole bunch of wacky stuff going on in it like trains exist now even though there's no trains in the forgotten realms by default so i took that into consideration when i was writing it the first level of the book is in a train and i'm like oh if somebody's from a setting that doesn't have trains what do i do about that how do i accommodate them so that that sort of maybe realize that I need to have some kind of section. So then I'm like, okay, let's look at what Curse of Strahd does. And they have a similar section, it's even longer, where they're like, here's six different ways that the mists can hit your party and get you going there. But that was a great idea. So it, I wanted to make my own version of that, where it's like, you're getting on this train. This is how the game starts, is you're getting on the train, 90% chance, right? Unless you do the skip to level two thing. You're getting on the train. How and why are you getting on the train is the real question. And that, that could be different at different tables. And I wanted to provide examples for that rather than being like, hey, make them get on the train. Just tell them to chew. And that would be weird. That would be a weird choice <laughs> in character. Get on this spooky ghost train. Go for it. Have fun. Right. Let me provide motivation. Yeah, I loved the way that kind of introductory chapter set up the entire pseudo Eberron feel of the entire setting mm -hmm. of Lamordia that you put out here. So I was wondering if you would talk about that a little bit, about what is that kind of technological character of Lamordia? Like, what is yeah. it and how important is it to the overall functioning and the overall feel of the world that you've built here? Yeah, so the big thing about 
Lamordia is that it's very steampunky, which is fine. It's great. It's fun. Mm-hmm. I love it. But that's pretty different from like your default D&D world, right? These days, Forgotten Realms is the default D&D world. And I think a lot of homebrew worlds resemble the Forgotten Realms by extension and or Middle Earth or whatever. I want this to feel like a fish out of water experience for the average D&D party, right? If you're coming from Eberron, it's probably going to feel pretty familiar. It's more Magitech than steampunk, but still, it'll be a little more at home. But otherwise, I'm like, okay, this will be like this kind of unique location. The location is sort of a character unto itself. And Barovia is the same way. All the domains are the same way, where the land is and a secondary antagonist in a way. And so I wanted the very medieval party to feel at odds with the high tech environment, in addition to just it being winter all the time and that sucking. But yeah, you know, the, uh, there's people with guns, there's zombie men walking everywhere. It's, it's this weird hostile place that should confuse a medieval character upon entry and seeing how they adapt to the cultural differences as well is interesting. There are people that still make medieval and yeah. kind of air quotes medieval weaponry. You make a reference to like how hunters, some of them prefer bows and arrows instead of guns and things like that, but that both of these things exist in the same world right. and that they are somewhat at odds with one another, especially when you start talking about like the Baron's secret police who are known jack booted thugs who have rifles that's like a yeah. and that's a very real kind of adversary that you can run into there are like random encounters where you can meet them and everything like that so it's a very real sort of juxtaposition of here i am i'm a fighter or a barbarian or something like that and i'm using very historical weaponry right. but also juxtaposed with this little bit of modernity that is adversarial i thought was was really cool the way that you laid that out yeah so. no it's also this weird thing where, again to speak to the cultural thing where like Lamordia, at least as I took it when I read the book initially, was like, this seems like a place where the people are not religious. And the default D&D character, even if they're not a cleric or a paladin, they know for sure that like the gods are real. Like they right. saw one last week, right? Stuff's crazy <laughs> right. in, in, in these settings. They may not be a cleric, but they've had healing. Yeah, exactly. Right. They've been hit by a cure wounds at some point or a lesser restoration, whatever. They're aware of divinity. And so to come into this place where science is all people think about and they don't really have that in their culture created this interesting juxtaposition as well we had a pallet in our test party so that created some funny dialogue where he's like, what do you mean you don't know about that and he just like heals somebody and they're like what the hell how did you it's like i went to medical school for eight years yeah i love the conversation that that leads us to and forgive me josh if you weren't done with your question no have at it no go ahead yeah. you speak in these early chapters that we're previewing about the culture and the cultural differences you set Lamordia in similar to uh, pre-industrial or early industrial yeah. Germanic society. A lot of the names come from there, names of places, names of people, the ideas. And, but yet you still put in some things that were very reminiscent of World War II and the post-World War One, pre-World War II era. Secret Police obviously has its, right. at least to me, its origins, in, or at least its at least its inspiration in the SS. Yeah, uh, listen, like, like you situation. said, everything's German, so obviously the inspiration is there. But it is a generic term for yeah. any oh, organization yeah, of, of their ilk. Yeah, it, it could be Section Thirty One. It could be the. Uh, the Obsidian Order. It could be any number of those right. things. The Rangers from Babylon 5. Every group has their secret. Every realm, region, group has their secret police. Not to drag you too far off track, but the other thing that does is it points to him as an obvious villain. Because, of course, he's got secret police. Obviously, he's the bad guy. And he is a bad guy. He's a very bad man. 
but he's not the bad guy. And so it creates this moment where the players are fooled into wasting some effort to going after him. I'll leave it at that. But it's just, it's an obvious tell, right? It's like when you have your villain in a movie, kill a dog. It's like, oh, okay, they're the bad guy. Oh, his goons are called the secret police or stormtroopers. Oh, they're the bad guy, right? Yeah. And what I love about that, that is where you go after, at that point, where does the game go? What do your characters do? That's where the storyteller who carried his table through these adventures can then say, who are the NPCs they interacted with? Who did they make friends with? Right. Did they make enemies of? How many times did they kick the uh, the butts of yeah. these secret police? Is there a right. secret police captain or commandant that uh, that that, they, that they've angered and, and who's after them? Like yeah. uh, that guy who was chasing the A team that might predate you a bit, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but a little bit. But definitely, that's where it leads to. It gives you more to go on when this book is done. Because I think that's one of the things that a lot of adventures really don't do. A lot of the pre-written adventures that I've seen on DMs Killed are great. They're fantastic in that moment. But because they're either so centered in a world like Forgotten Realms and they lean so heavily into it without building anything of their own, when that adventure ends, you either have to go buy another yeah. one or you can't carry that story forward. And I love the fact that this is saying, storytellers, creators, I want you to take this forward. So here, I'm going to give you a lot to work on. You speak on that in the early chapter as well. Yep. And I think those are all very brilliant techniques. There's a whole section at the beginning of a couple of the chapters where it's like, all right, here's what I'm proposing is your main quest. And I'm going to lay this out in, in pretty good detail. But also, if your players don't bite this plot hook, here's some ideas for what you can do instead. There's a whole section in the back of the book for optional side quests. They're not super detailed, but they're enough to get you going. Give your players something to do to earn a level up still to then get to the real meat of the story that begins in like chapter five, um, where things really pick up. Yeah. <laughs> you alluded mm -hmm. to this in the opening chapters of the book here, but I wanted you to talk a little bit about why setting the adventure for early levels is an important part to the story here. Because we've we for have sure. spent we have definitely spent airwaves before talking about how wizards books in particular tend to focus on early levels to the detriment of higher levels. And it, look at it in power construction, you can look at it in their quest construction, you can look at everything in that and see that they're favoring early levels. This in this case here, though, yeah, Ravenloft at the end of the day, it's scary. It's horror, right? It's still D and D. You still get to be the big heroes. You still get to save the day. It's not. It's not like a horror video game like Amnesia or something. But it's got to be scary, right? You want to frighten the players a little bit. You want to get some tension at the table, and that's a little harder to do when they have uh, 137 hit points. Like it, they can cast disintegrate. Like it, it's just a little harder to make something scary. Because Lamordia is this low magic setting, there's not a lot of crazy high power fantasy monsters, right? There's one young dragon in an optional fight. There is another CR9 creature. But otherwise, it's not super threatening, right? And even if you read the book, you read Van Richten's and you look at it and you're like, the most threatening thing about this place is the weather and that people yeah. don't value life. Yeah, creepy as hell, but not really, not really. It, right, yeah, it's not, not really, really yeah. gonna hit you that hard. And so, yeah, Frankenstein is terrifying to a level two rogue, <laughs> but it's not really terrifying to a level seventeen wizard. Right. At the end of the day, that's really what it boils down to. And you could you see the same thing in Curse of Strahd as well, right? Like the Death House at the beginning is horrifying, not so much because it's actually that scarily written it is 
But because you have six HP and there's a suit of armor that's animated that can punch you in the face for up to nine damage. Excellent. So I just find horror TTRPGs easier to write in that space where the characters are a little weaker. Yeah, no, totally. It absolutely makes sense. And I think that what you said about the creatures that you've that you've taken from that inhabit Glamordia, the way that you made them all creepy is fantastic no like even when you're going through like the random encounters yeah like deer except they also can like <laughs> they also have six legs and seven eyes and they have right. keen sight instead of whatever or the, the bear that had basically it's a bear with extra eyes and so it has keen sight as well as keen smell that kind of- it's freaky yeah it's yeah. freaky it's a little more threatening than a normal animal yeah and, Which is scary to a level three or four character, but not to a level 12 exactly, character. Exactly, right. Yeah. And so they're just like, that's the kind of, the best kind of compliment that I can pay this is that it is, it's got this underlying current of creep, like almost like HP Lovecraft. Everything is just creepy. Yes, for Nothing sure. Nothing sort of fits together. And part of the adventure and part of the journey is figuring out what the heck is actually going on and why it feels yeah. creepy and feels weird. Yeah. Yeah. You could go, you could do a whole other podcast about how. Ravenloft is actually Lovecraftian horror, <laughs> and the dark powers are these eldritch Gods. with unknowable motivations. Yeah, you yeah. could do a whole podcast about oh, that. Oh, for sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there are several that actually cover that ground as well. Hey there, travelers. Do you want early access to all of our episodes? How about exclusive content, live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans? You can do all that by signing up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. But wait, there's more. For the next month, you can get a free coffee mug for signing up at the Adventurer level, plus Adventurer-level Patreons automatically get complimentary copies of our latest book, The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse, available on DM's Guild. We love doing this show for y'all, and your support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, so join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. When you're talking about the creatures and some of the artwork that we saw early on, there's a, one of the the uh, Mordian buck that goes <laughs> with the there. extra legs. It's just kind of like um, it yeah. Like- it's one of those things that I looked at the picture the first time. I'm like, okay, it's a deer, and I scrolled through. And then when I was reading about, it, I'm like, what? That's why it looked creepy. Yeah. And I went yeah. back uh-huh. to the picture and I had to take that second look. And I almost get that view. Like I'm trying to think of the the what show it was. There's a show probably about five to ten years ago where. They were out hunting somewhere and they saw a deer and everything looked normal. And then the deer turned and the whole side of it, the other side of the deer was mangled, mauled, or mutated in some weird fashion. Yes. And it freaked them I out. I feel like I've seen that as a gif somewhere. It's been everywhere, but it was on a show. And I remember watching that the first time and saying, that's creepy as F. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's the moment where that show caught me when i was reading through it and i read that and went back to that picture i'm like that's the moment that's when your party's going through they're in this weird place you get them outside yep. of wherever the train stopped and you get them out in the hinterlands a little bit and that's when they say all bets are off even the people who are from eberron when they get into that moment this will no longer be familiar and if you have a party of players who've not played Ravenloft before by chance, but they have played Eberron or they have played Forgotten Realms, they played all the standard fantasy tropes, that's the moment when everybody's going to sit up in their seats, draw a little closer to the table, uh-huh. maybe put that drink that doesn't have a cap on it a little further away because they're getting <laughs> ready for the jump scare. That's the moment. The other thing that I was thinking that it reminded me of actually was if you saw the movie Annihilation, yeah. um, when the when the the bear that 
mimics people's voices come sniffing into the room there and it kind of has like it has like this exposed skull yeah it's an uncanny valley thing or it's like it's, it's weird and yeah, gross it's, and it's exactly. just like yeah. <laughs> like I, 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 yeah. maybe that thing can't kill me but i have to kill it like, <laughs> like exactly right there's something wrong it's in some sort of abomination yeah yeah something's wrong about this this whole place yeah, my sensibilities will not abide this mother. Shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mr. Miller, your question. Going back to culture, I like the fact that you took the time to include the fact that this is a humanocentric world, and as opposed to ignoring the fact that players right. play Aarakocra and Tabaxi and Dragonborn and all these other things, you don't make it so they can't play them here. But included and right. embedded in the story is that NPCs are going to have reactions. It's not forgotten about. And I think that really helps keep things on the level with the horror themes that are here. It's very prevalent in good horror stories or pseudo horror stories, even right. whether it be the dome or the other, yeah. like the outsider is always looked at very differently. Even people who came from there and left, they're outsiders now. Any of these people, if they come from a pure, fantastic world, they're going to be looked at as outsider. You just walked in in plate mail? What the hell right. is that? Right, you've you got know, wings? That's yeah. odd. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, a bird person walks in, you know, a Kenku who speaks in weird voices, exactly. that's not going to be right. Uh, you know, uh, you know, these things are just not going to, he- heaven forbid, a, tor- a turtle or a... A, a dragonborn, you know, yeah. Now they might, a dragonborn, these are things that are going to, people are going to have some thoughts about those. Now, uh, but it doesn't preclude them from being played, but it does give the storyteller, they need to have that session zero talk. Right. This is going to be played up. You're going to have to explain it. Yeah, yeah. Deal with it. It's it's sort of to go back to what I said earlier about the whole like fish out of water vibe, right? It's kind of the same thing where it's like these people, they're not actively prejudiced, right? They're not bad people, but they've never seen a dragon man before. It's going to be weird. It's going to freak them out a little bit. It's not just a human who looks different from them. It's something totally on another level. And then they can abide an elf, right? They'd be like, all right, you're yep. pointy, whatever. A uh, halfling, all right, you're short, your feet are hairy. It's weird, but whatever. Like, they'll, they'll give you some odd looks, right? But then they get into, like you said, bird person, <laughs> dragon person, tiefling, right? Like they're not yeah. religious people, so they don't really see them as devil people. They don't see them as of the hells, but they're like, you've got horns, the monsters out there have horns. It's I'm a little right. You've got a tail. Yeah. Like you're green. It's weird. So it creates this yeah. situation where everybody in the whole city immediately knows who you are. Like you're the only outsiders in the entire country, probably at the moment bar of small other number of people. And it makes it hard to hide again, to bring up the secret police thing. Like, they're looking for the purple one. You can't hide. You can't just grow up beard. So yeah, I wanted to make the country feel realistic, make it so these people have like expectations, but they're not, again, they're not prejudiced. They're not inherently bad people. They're just confused and shocked is the main thing. Yeah. Uh, if the secret police come by looking for the purple right. one, the people are less likely to shelter you if you are also the purple one. Like, cause there's clearly like the, you know, the people in the, in the country don't want to run afoul of the secret police. Right. Yeah. So even if they react to your character with shock or, or the brief bit of fear, they're still more afraid of the secret police. They're still more afraid of the marsh and the monsters there and whatever else actual dangers there are. And yeah. it creates this sense where you're like, Will people help me out if I get into trouble or 
will they not want to take their chances with whatever's chasing me? At some point, you're going to, you better save Timmy from the well. So at least Timmy's parents will back you up. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. It makes allies that much more valuable. Yeah. 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 One of the things that I loved about the way that you structured the opening chapters of the book here was how you leaned right into the creepy horror factor. We've been talking about that for 45 minutes, about how you leaned into the creepy horror factor of the story and everything like that. But you also went out of your way to go ahead and point out that as the storyteller, you need to make space at the table for comedic light yep. also. Because there are some things, as I was reading through here, there are a couple of things in here that are just like actually like drop dead funny in just <laughs> references that you've got here. Like in one of the cities about how, again, they kind of all have this like German feel to it yeah. and you've got the, the city of New, of New Furchtenberg there which is go. German for New Scary City yeah. uh, like straight up so I was like New Furchtenberg wait a minute yeah <laughs> that's, that's not me that's in Van Richten's but yeah yeah Oh my goodness, that is so funny. At Winter's Mouth there, where you were talking about talking about the difference between sailors and everybody else and how sailors say that the pit whispers the sea's secrets, but nobody else really knows what that means. Like the whole like concept of like how the sailors have their own jack speak that nobody else understands. Yeah. So all these kind of like inside references and everything like that, I thought were really well placed. And so can you talk about that a little bit about how you know, sure. like what how important is that is that character to what's going on here? Yeah, so for me, like again, I get to go back to the origin story thing. A big part of the reason why I got into to D anD D was for the laughs, the levity at the table, the funny stuff that happens when you try to do something ridiculous and you roll a one and trip and fall on your face, right? The coming up <laughs> with lines to use with vicious mockery, right? Those, those moments of levity really can make or break a game. And in in a world like Ravenloft, where everything just a downer all the time. You really need that. It's one thing to host an actual play or a podcast or something where you're going for it's a show and you want it to be a horror show. And so you can kind of tell everyone, all right, we're going to keep it real serious at the table. But if it's just you guys at home with your buddies and somebody like makes simple lowbrow joke in the middle of a serious, scary moment, let it happen. Laugh, have fun. We're playing a game. It's an RPG. The G stands for game. We're here to have fun. It's okay to mix in. I say it in the book. You don't have to be the fun police. All work and no play, et cetera, et cetera. Because that's always been it for me. I absolutely agree. And I will always say that as great as the first Aliens was, in my opinion, it was with all due respect to Ridley Scott. Thank you, sir, for giving us all that you've given us (laughs) in modern film. But it pales in comparison to Aliens. Because the moment you had Hicks come out of that pod and say, hey, Vasquez, anybody ever mistake you for a man? And she says, no, have have you? Uh, (laughs) You know, the moment moment that happened, I was like, this is my movie. And then as it goes, game over, man, game over. All those scary moments, those truly frightening moments, punctuated by the action, punctuated by those bits of comedy from all the different things that happen. Yeah. Hudson, look into my eye. (laughs) All those bits are what makes that movie fun and enjoyable and makes me rewatch that time after time. Whereas Aliens, I watch once every couple of years. The first Alien, I will watch Aliens anytime it's on. Any scene comes on, I'm pretty much into the end of the movie from wherever I caught it. And it's because of those moments of comedy and that's what you've said bring to your game so people keep coming back exactly yeah you want people to leave the table and not go home and have nightmares because your game is so scary and you don't want them to leave with the anxiety that their character was feeling you don't want people to leave your table with nightmares the oh i've been at one hp and i've been being chased by a monster for 
two hours of real world time, even though it was like 30 seconds of combat. You don't want them to take that home. You want them to take home. I had fun and I'm going to come back next week. You don't have players, you don't get to play. (laughs) Yeah, I will say there is a storyteller uh, uh, that's in this episode recording (laughs) who took an absurd pleasure in making sure I left an Aliens game with some nightmares. I will also say I got him back because I tend to put creepy crawly bugs and, and webs and stuff in my game. Oh, from yeah. Time. yeah. Right. Just, oh, was, just to regale awesome. him with the fun. Yeah, no, exactly. you're yeah. That's, yeah. Hey, look, like you said, it's aliens. If you're not leaving an alien game with, with a little bit of, of mental anguish, then... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah no. And he's no, well aware that. of my personal terror mm-hmm. that is the facehuggers. Like, I yeah. can't take them. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. And every yeah. facehugger scene in every alien movie is the scene that, to yeah. date, I've seen all of them, like, multiple times. I've seen the second one. I think I might be up to 50 or 60 times. Oh, yeah. I cannot yeah. watch that scene in Med Bay <laughs> yeah, uh, where the face hugger <laughs> drops out of the thing. I know exactly when it happens. I can pause it right before yeah, I, it. Yeah. I know it, <laughs> but I cannot yeah, no, watch no, that scene without jumping yeah. out of my skin. Yeah. It every time gets me. If any if anybody listening is, is on the fence about buying my book, nothing in it is that scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everything's a little lower. You'll be you'll be you'll be all right. You'll be okay. It's more like <laughs> Aliens Covenant level of scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, but a yeah. far better product. All right, Mr. Miller, I think it's a pretty much time for last question. So go ahead, fire your last one off. Is this your first published work, published game? Yeah. And it, okay. Ring for a while, but it's, it's my first thing that I ever felt like I could charge for. But go ahead, finish your question. Okay. So uh, with your first published game, it, uh, yeah, so my question was two parts. One is that your first published game, and my second is, other than this the zombie world that we've talked about that we're hoping you get done in time for Halloween next year, 2023, <laughs> yeah. so we can help you play test that, what are your future plans for content creation? Because I'm, ge- sure. I'm guessing by the nature of this conversation, you now have the itch, and this is not something uh, yeah, you're going to stop absolutely. at Absolutely. So I've, I've got a couple things in the works. Ongoing, I, I have the, our YouTube channel, Spellbook Gaming, where we do an actual play show with my friends called Roll for Distraction. As you can imagine, as I said, I like comedy at the table. It's pretty lighthearted, despite getting a little crazy. Uh, we, we start the game with Candlekeep Mysteries, and then we kind of veer off onto our own little homebrew thing. Uh, my friend John is the, the dungeon master yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. We we know it's we know a podcast that has done very similar yeah. similar. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, it's built it for it. Keep it. They went to Wild Beyond the Witchlight. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so that that's going on. We have some let's plays and stuff up up there as well. So yeah, YouTube.com, Spellbook Gaming, search it up. It should come up. Um, and I'm on Twitter and everything as well. And then uh, as far as like actual books that I have in the works for the next thing that's coming out is going to be it's called I caught. I don't know if it's going to be the final title or not, but I'm calling it the Extensive Eldritch Expansion. And it's this compendium of of cosmic horror, Eldritch horror, whatever you want to call it. It's got a couple subclasses. It's got monsters and and just a little bit of everything. In in my head, I like to refer to it as Cthulhu's Guide to Everything. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, you run into some copyright trouble there. Um, oh, I mean, there are only like 30 companies that claim the rights to anything. Yeah, you know, I just don't want to piss enough. somebody off. Um yeah. So yeah, but but so that, that that should be up relatively soon. I'm working my way through that. It's written. It's it's you know it's it's done. Quote unquote. I'm just formatting it and doing art and all that. So keep an eye if, again Twitter on that. If uh, you'll find out about that, like future pipe dream stuff. We've got so at some point we're going to do a campaign too of the podcast. Our our campaigns at our tables don't tend to run super duper long. Um, so at some point we'll do a campaign too, and then where I'm going to DM, we're planning to do Spelljammer the way that the official Spelljammer book is the one that just 
came out. It's a pretty short adventure. It's like level five to level eight. Uh, I want to do like a homebrew prologue and a homebrew epilogue. And I might publish that as a book, depending on how it goes. Uh, I'm thinking like level one to four to get you into the five to eight, and then maybe like a nine to 12 nice. uh, to go beyond that. And then after that, after that, I think I would like to go back to Ravenloft. Maybe that's Falcove. I like Haslan as well. The, the very high magic, the opposite yep. of Lamoria, polar opposite, yeah, yeah. like full magical chaos there. Yeah. Just a change of pace. But I, uh, that's not as set in stone. We'll see. And other than that, I don't know. Collabs. I'm just kind of keeping it open. Nice. Since you do lean that eldritch horror way, if there are any podcasters in, within the sound of my voice or on this episode, when we are doing a project that has need for or want for that type of thing, we might know how to ring you up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah listen, I'd love to see it pop up somewhere. Yeah. The, the last question that I wanted to ask you, Alex, was one of the things yep. that was really near and dear to my heart in the preview that we were looking at here were all of your random roll tables and how mm-hmm. you structured. If you've got, uh, if you're in this area and you'll be higher level, use bigger dice to go ahead and get deeper in the table and everything yeah. like that. That was a really cool way to go ahead and handle that. Very elegant. I liked that a lot. But the thing that I really loved is that your random encounters didn't just have you're walking down the street and you run into a weird deer and what do you do? But it also had like open-ended story prompts that it looked like were like fodder for the storyteller to go ahead and take a little bit of rope and see how far he can go ahead and stretch it to go ahead and rope the players in. So the question that I had is, first of all, why did you do it that way? Like Mm. you combine your encounter tables with like open-ended stuff and kind of more concrete stuff. And then the follow-up question to that is that on any of the prompts there, are any of the prompts given more weight or more explanation later in the book, or are they really just left open-ended for the storytellers? Yeah. So for the first part, there's two ways that like official books do random encounters. There's the Xanathar's Guide way, which is just a list of stuff. And the benefit there is that the table is huge, right? That you're never going to run out. And then there's the way that the campaign modules tend to do it. The Curse of Strahd does it, where it's like, it says on the table, wolves or whatever, but then you flip to the next page and on the page which says wolves, it tells is like three sentences about what the situation is there. I'm like, okay, that's definitely the way I have to go for this. There are some of them where you don't even fight a thing immediately. It just starts following you. And then if you get into a fight, it jumps you. If you don't get into a fight, maybe nothing. Maybe you never know that thing was following you, but it went back to its boss, right? Yeah. So there's stuff like that where I'm like, they shouldn't all just be fighting. And if they are just fighting, they should has tell you something about the world, right? Yeah. It's a rule in screenwriting. Like I said, I studied that a little bit in college where you don't usually just want to have action for action's sake. You always want to be moving the plot forward. And random encounters are often criticized for just being action for action's sake and not moving the plot forward. So I'm like, let me at least sprinkle a little bit of flavor, a little bit of lore onto them. So I felt like I had to do that. We experienced that in our in one of our recent projects where when we had time to have random encounters, we're like, this by itself isn't good enough. So we had those, each of those random encounters had an impact what was going on elsewhere in the story. If I borrow the screenwriting reference, I believe it is, if you take the time to show a textbook on a counter, that textbook had better be important. Yes, Chekhov's gun. Yeah, Chekhov's gun. It it has to pay off. Don't show the gun if it's not going to be fired. 100%. Yeah, and there are encounters in there like that where an enemy tells you, and if this, if this encounter happens early in the game, you don't know what their deal is. They're weird. They're different from the other enemies in the region. But then four chapters later, you'd be like, oh, this thing works for them. 
and suddenly it makes sense. Yeah. Like the one in particular that I thought was really cool was the hunter when you can run into the hunter and there's that line in there that says, Hey, so the hunter is going to be following you and here's what's going to happen if, if you get into an encounter or whatever. But if you're also being followed by a member of the secret police, you're not going to notice the hunter. You're not going to notice the secret police until they start fighting each other. Oh, so there's, so again, it's got that, like, it's like leading you down the path. Oh, there's some conflict over there with those two groups of people. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it's not, a hard combat encounter if those two are fighting each other it's not the hardest thing but it builds the world and one of the other things i noticed about those tables i'm just going to dovetail off what josh's overall question is i really like the fact that you gave some choices one of the things i'm looking at is you gave a you encounter giant spiders if you're in a wooded area or rats if you're not that's an excellent use of space as opposed to taking up two things one of them that'll be weird and hard for somebody to put in you have one space that the storyteller can utilize regardless of environment or regardless of where this comes up. And I think that's brilliant because you now made your chart even twice as useful because of done that. And that that's a great tip for fellow writers. If you're ever like, I have an odd number of ideas and an even number of spaces (laughs) on this table or vice versa. And you got, you just got to squeeze them in just put two of them in one and just make it regional or daytime, nighttime or something. Thank you so much for coming on the show, bringing this fantastic product to our attention. I I can't wait to dive into the adventure proper. I'm really glad that you sent us the preview first that just had the early bits before the adventure itself. So I was not tempted to give away the sauce uh, on this one, but I'm going to be all in the sauce as soon as we're off air. I really enjoy this and I love our conversation because you've really given me some great ideas to to go forward. Just the tip on doing the tables and adding that second thing in there is going to be exceptionally useful in our writing process. Thank you very much for having the conversation and being so giving with your information, telling us your story. Anytime you come up with a game, do an adventure, you've got a a podcast and a window to show it to the world and a group of gamers who would be more than happy to sit down and play it with you. And we'll be more than happy to bring along some of our uh, Potter and family to uh, to join us when we're playing a few more eyes and a few more audiences to take a look at your games. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Listen, I appreciate you guys having me on. This has been like the first collab of any oh, sort that yeah. I've really done since getting into this space as a creator and oh. it's been great it's been a good time and I appreciate Hopefully this it. is uh, the beginning of many other shows for you to go ahead and appear on no uh, there's there is this, this circle of podcasts that once you go on one of our yeah. shows uh, you tend to appear on all of us and 19 hits the dragon thinking critically I'm talking to you guys like that's yep. you're up next but before we let you go here where can folks find the price of a life where can they download it where can they find your other things too if you're looking directly for the book it is on DM's guild you can, it should come up in the search the price of a life and otherwise, if you're looking for anything else, it's Spellbook Space Gaming on YouTube. Uh, otherwise, everything else, it's usually just together, no space. Twitter, if you go to the Twitter or the YouTube, we have a link tree that will take you nice. everywhere well, else. We'll Jeez. make sure to go ahead and throw that link tree in our show comments so that uh, if you look down in the description, you'll be able to find the link down below there. Excellent. Awesome. awesome. Alex, thank you very much for popping on tonight. We really appreciate you taking some time to go ahead and talk with us. All right. Thanks so much for popping on, Alex. We really appreciate uh, you taking some time to go ahead and talk with us tonight. And everyone go to DM's Guild and pick up uh, the price of a life, the Lamordia adventure. If you're into Ravenloft and looking for a slightly different flavor, hit up Lamordia. Thanks so much, Alex. Appreciate you taking some time tonight. All right. Thank you, guys. Have a great great. night. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Take care. Good night, all. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com 
where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, at TT Journeys, by joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you want early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts, and maybe even appear in one of our actual plays, you can join our Patreon to help support the show at patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, we would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays, and every Tuesday features our actual play episodes. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler along our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.